and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Sunday, July 30th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, we will review what's been going on in the Women's World Cup, get through some more of the preseason friendlies, and I would like to talk about something very serious. But first, please like, share, subscribe, like, share, subscribe, like, share, subscribe. Check out me and Chris's show on Top FC Football. Uh, We'll be there. I'll put the links in the description if I said it wrong uh, because we're still working on it. I'm going to be doing this show on Sundays and then we'll be promoting the other show on the other channel. Uh, Just new stuff, new thing, new season. Chris has been great. So like, share, and subscribe. Find me wherever I am, Laurent Cortines. Uh, Laurent1056 on Instagram, Cortines on X, no longer Twitter, uh, and we'll get into it. Okay, let's get to it. First, I have something to say about the Saudi interruption of European football. I think a lot of the takes have been that this is a negative, that this is some sports washing campaign that's destroying football and whatever. That may indeed be true. That may indeed be true. Uh, There are a lot of things that are negative about the Saudi regime. You know, they do have a full uh, traditionalist Muslim state. There is a royal family. You can't move up in it. It is hierarchical. All those bad things. I'm not here to discuss the politics of it. What I am interested in about it is what it means for what we think about football today. If we recall, there were a couple of seismic major changes in football that I think pushed change. I think there's probably three major, four or five major ones. Let's start with the formation of the Premier League itself. Off the Taylor Report, off of Hillsborough, English teams back in European football from 1990 uh, after the Heisel disaster, the five-year ban that they got. So from 85 to 90, no English teams could play in Europe. You have the 89 terrible Hillsborough. You have the government report that says all stadiums must become uh, all-seater. There's a lot of money involved. There's also a change in football about how do we raise the money for that and TV rights and Sky Sports and all these things, all these converging in media. And the big owners of the team say, hey, we want this money. It's a great book, great stories, how the Premier League was formed. Fascinating being this case. But that is a seismic event. Television grouped together, sold and packaged as a league in England, sold and packaged as a league abroad. That becomes the formula that other leagues want to form. That is not true in every league. At the time of the Premier League, Italy was a bigger league in terms of television revenue behind Berlusconi, and you had Real and Barca basically doing their thing. Okay, so we keep going. The next big step forward, and although he was already there, is I think that uh, Alex Ferguson is a seminal force within football. His drive to win, his what it means to win. He had been at United from 86, but he wins his first title in the inaugural season of the Premier League, and he sort of sets the standard. Our first hero within this story of the Premier League. The next big step forward is Arsene Wenger arriving in 98 um, as the next foil for Ferguson. Ferguson, pragmatic, 
Ferguson, United, the United Way, running, hard charging, playing for the shirt, youth, uh, and changing the way they made money. That's on the side. That's on the other side. On the other side, we have Wenger and David Dean. Wenger bringing professionalism. Wenger bringing different modes, more continental style. You start to see Julier, who's French. You start to get Benitez after that. You start to get more European managers. So Wenger is there. He's another step. He's pushing football away from its Englishness, bringing it into a more international thing. Another big step, the Bozeman ruling in 95, which allows international players, which is what allows for Wenger. So these are the steps, and I'm building to a bigger story around what happens and why the Saudis are big. The next big seismic step is the arrival of Roman Abramovich. This is Saudi. This is money from Eastern Europe based on how the country was split up. Abramovich becomes the first big owner, and he begins spending and sort of knocks United off their perch. They hadn't missed a league title for two years in a row ever up until that point. Mourinho wins the two titles uh, in 2004 and 2005. You have Wenger bringing up this concept of sport, of, of, of financial doping, and we get the first steps around that. That need to compete, that money coming into the league, that change in fundamentals about British football and how money is spent causes a chain reaction, right? Alex Ferguson understands he's got to strip his team down and go young again while continuing the standards. Wenger understands he's got to get out of Highbury and must get into the Emirates and have a full-seater stadium which influences Levy, we need a new stadium. And you see the sort of Americanization, we need stadiums, we need stadiums, if you haven't updated your stadium from the Taylor Report. And so we have an age of Chelsea, 2003, 2004. Liverpool, all this time, still struggling. I feel like they were the last club to really get their footing. The Gillette's uh, Hicks uh, ownership was a disaster. Then they finally get FSG, and that changes everything for them. But they're kind of struggling in the background. The next big step forward, I'll say, is Manchester City in 2008. We go from an individual with ridiculous wealth from a country to an actual sovereign wealth fund, essentially a royal family member uh, of the UAE and Sheikh Mansour. The reason why I bring all those moments up is because each one of them is a moment that the rest of the team and the rest of the league must find a new way to compete must find new revenue, must increase their commercial appeal, must tour Asia, USA, Africa, anywhere, Saudi Arabia, must have connections to other places. So fast forward now, we've just had this city era where we have a little bit of fear, we have a little bit of loathing. Now we have another group, right? We have another attack, we have another attempt, and this is the Saudi attempt. This is the next big attempt. We have a sovereign wealth fund, that is overtly owning three or four teams in the league. They own Newcastle. They get their foot in the door. And now they're flexing their muscle, having done the live golf approach where they basically bought their way into golf and forced a merger, very similar to the AFL-NFL merger in, in American football in the 60s because competing became unsustainable. So now we have this Saudi wealth fund now competing on the European stage for the best players. We've had some of the greatest players in Europe over the last 10 years now playing in Saudi Arabia. Conte, Ronaldo, Benzema, 
Henderson, you know, these are names, uh, Fabinho, um, uh, just tons and tons and tons of great players have gone on to the Saudi league. Leaving the politics aside, what this means for European football is it must find new ways to compete. It must find new revenue. Now the Premier League is now not the biggest dog, right? The Premier League has already been 5 or 10x the rest of Europe. Now it, it has to battle again. It has to find its new level. It has to raise its stakes. And because it's not single entity, it's not franchises, it's not the Premier League itself, each individual club within the Premier League is going to have to find a way to compete and retain its players or find a new way to not lose their players. And I think ultimately, when we see these things happen in sport, they do create innovation. They do raise the levels in management of different teams. Leagues rarely fold because of these reasons. Usually it's the upstart that folds because the incumbent, the Premier League, European leagues, uh, have to find a new way. And the advantage that the Europeans have is that the Saudis are in, are in, the, are in CAF, are in the separate... They're not in UEFA. So they're safe in that they can hold on to the Champions League, which is the biggest league in the world. They still have their local leagues. They still have La Liga. They still have uh, Syria. Ah, they still have the Bundesliga. We still have the Premier League. We still have Scotland. We still have all these places that can still have their protected infrastructure and bureaucracy. But they've got to know, especially at the top level, especially Barca, Real, Juve, Bayern Munich, City, Arsenal, Spurs have now got to understand where they are in the pecking order and what they have to do to stay afloat. Some may just try and wait, like we had with China, where we had the Chinese league and she tried to sort of create a new league. There was money that flowed to China and the corruption within that league really broke it down because it was by fiat. She said they needed a league and because it was part of the party, everyone did what he said. They bought it, but there really wasn't the infrastructure or desire to really do it. And they spent lots of money and really didn't get anything out of it. The, the league essentially is a backwater again. It's back to just being a Chinese league because I think Chi got bored of it. Chi? I forget. His, I, I don't care how I pronounce his name. I'm going to call him um, Winnie the Pooh because he doesn't like that. Now, what is going to happen with the Saudi league? Is it going to be this $15 billion investment fund where over the next five years they sustain it? And they keep on pushing and they keep on pushing and try and push themselves into the Champions League? Do they want to try and create that? Does this become a catalyst for UEFA and Serafin to look at everything and go, okay, we're UEFA. This is hurting our clubs the most. Does this mean we have to revisit the um, does this mean we have to revisit the Super League? Does this mean that other pieces around that? Does this mean that the Super League has to come back? Does this mean that we need salary caps across all of UEFA? Do we create a structured system that we understand how much money each league is allowed to spend? Do you want to create an entire bureaucratic level above all of UEFA the way they have in La Liga? I would say, please don't do that. Just go look at the UEFA, the, the spending in La Liga. La Liga Aside from Real Madrid and Barca, no teams are spending at all. That, that league is literally falling apart because it's so top-heavy. 
are we going to, do we fall into a state where we're like City of A, who didn't invest in its infrastructure and kind of has sort of dirty dealings? We've seen Juventus now getting kicked out of Europe. They have to get their house in order. So without their flagship franchise, we're seeing a rise of AC Milan and Inter again. Do we, do we sort of go revisit some of the lowland things? Do the lower leagues, the non-Big Five leagues in Europe, sort of try and make their own Super League where you have Scotland, Belgium, and the Netherlands create one league where they feel connected to each other? Do we just revisit the whole thing? If, if, if the EU is really an EU, do, do they simply make a, a multi-division system where they have promotion and relegation between European leagues? Not, 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 not UEFA, not the Champions League, but literally leagues going up and down for the whole thing so that you do over time end up with a full system where the big teams are all in one league and they play like that and you essentially do away with the, um, the European leagues. Now, Premier League wouldn't join that league, right? Well, maybe they wouldn't because they're not in the EU anymore. But these are the sort of things of why I think that the, the Saudi League and the PIF Wealth Fund is an interesting catalyst for change because fundamentally, sport is conservative and doesn't like change. And it is very much about money and it is about all these things and all these, all this, all these side notes and things, and I don't want to go down those paths, but I find it fascinating from a sport business perspective about what is going to happen to all these teams and leagues. Okay, let us get into some of our previews of the Premier League. That was my uh, preamble about Saudi leagues and all that stuff. So um, I think last week I talked about my top four. I had Brighton in the top four. I had Arsenal winning the league with City and Liverpool uh, there. But I'd like to go closer into each team just to sort of get a sense of what I was talking about and sort of go deeper into each one. Let's let's start with our friends. Experience for work, you know, I, I talked about that a little bit, but I'm more interested in what we think is really going to happen with Arsenal. We know, we know about um, the signings. We have Havertz, we have Rice, uh, we have Timber. Uh, these are players that I think increased the depth and strength of Arsenal. They had a good year. They were in very good shape. Um, they ran City close. And I think that they are, they're doing that building blocks thing. Everything about the way Arsenal are grows feels like the right trajectory for a team that is going to make a challenge. I'm in a great position to try and win the league. And they are catching City again. It is unprecedented. No team has ever done it. No team has ever gotten close. It's never been a thought of winning four leagues in a row. Uh, the last one would have been United in 2011. Uh, uh, Ancelotti's Chelsea broke United's uh, streak there to try and win that league. But uh, they were not quite there yet for that victory. I'm just triple checking. I want to make sure I know when the last uh, three Pete was. I know City just won three in a row. And then prior to that, United won three in a row 
from 06 to 09 with Chelsea. He scored 29, uh, an incredible season for Chelsea. They scored 104, 103 goals. Before that season, it had been like, shocking for a team to score 103. United were right there, only losing by teams of all time with Vidic and Rio. They really didn't give up more than 30 goals a year. They were pretty fantastic in that regard. And then you have, then City just won three in a row. So that's basically catching us up from United's last run of glory. <laughs> Those these, Now 15 years ago. Uh, so just to give you a sense of, of where things have gone since then. Um, but I think Arsenal are there. They have the marker of a great side that is growing. Um, to me, what I see as their weaknesses are, or sorry, let me just, the questions I have are, it's not weaknesses, it's can Havertz do the defensive work needed that Shaka provided, that kind of up and down in that double eight role with he and Odegaard? We know what they're going to do. He's going to try and mirror what Odegaard is on his side. The second one is, does Rice understand the role that he needs to do. He's been playing under Moyes for his whole career. And how does that work for him? Can he reduce his game to sort of let the other players in front of him play? Does he understand what he has to take on? So that's the Rice piece. In defense, do they have enough? Um, I saw Rob Holding play again. That made me concerned. I haven't seen Tomayasu. We know Timber is cover, but do they have another defender? Uh, it seemed like Saliba was a real linchpin. I think this is true of a lot of teams, aside from City. I watch City all the time. Most champions teams. Hello. The episode was eaten by the dreaded uh, QuickTime machine. So thanks, for everybody, for listening. There was more on all the other teams, and we'll just tack this on to the end. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to that. Uh, hopefully, we'll get some comments about the Saudi League and everything about that. But thanks for your patience. It got a little bit hairy there. Anyway, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode and we don't have things like this happen again. Thank you.